in three, two, one. The digital landscape is changing and changing fast. AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape, paving the way for a new era of personalized customer experiences that foster a deeper connection between brands and their audiences. By harnessing the power of artificial intelligence, businesses are now capable of developing more effective marketing campaigns tailored to the specific needs and preferences of their customers. Small companies and entrepreneurs can now compete more effectively against big enterprise. This podcast episode will provide valuable insights and actionable strategies for entrepreneurs and marketers looking to achieve significant growth in their businesses, employing the latest tools. And to help us understand how AI can help you accelerate your results is entrepreneur and AI marketing specialist, Cody Schneider. Hey, Cody, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Oh, Michael, thank you for having me, man. Super excited to be here. Where, now, where are we speaking to you from today? Where are you at? Yeah, calling in from Denver, Colorado. So we moved out here, relocated out in February. So starting to get settled finally. We just unpacked the last couple boxes last week. That's, Great town. Where'd you relocate from? Yeah, so we actually we did the whole digital nomad thing. We both rage quit our jobs, my girlfriend and I, and traveled around for about 12 months. And then, yeah, this new company started to get serious in January of this last year and had a realization that it's hard to do sales calls when you're doing them yeah. out of hotel rooms. And so we're like, hey, we need to get another home again. So then February was kind of when it rolled around and got relocated. So I, I totally get that. It's tough when it's on the road. It's fine for a little while. You can get a few weeks in, but there's something nice about just waking up and having your studio and everything else set up. 100%. Where you need to have it. Our listeners always like a little bit of background, how you got to where you are, because I know you focus on digital AI, digital marketing. You've had some great successes. You've taken companies from 20 million to 120 million in half a year six months. You're a bit of a pioneer. You've been involved with it for a number of different years, a number of different enterprises. How did Cody get here? So go back to high school, college days. I know you're an avid skier, like to have some fun. How'd you get where you're at? Yeah, that's a great question. I've always just been selling things. I think that was the core. And originally I started out, actually, I took a graphic design class and it's random, like, it was a family friend taught me how to screen print. And so I was just like hawking those. And then that evolved into doing e-com. So I actually started my whole kind of career in e-com. I was data mining, like all this data used to be public on Etsy and Redbubble and all of these marketplaces where you could just go and see best-selling products. And so I basically go and I would extract all the best-selling products and look at keyword phrasings and then basically find distributors that would go and drop ship them for me and make our own versions of that. So that quickly evolved into I needed a tool to extract some data. And so we built a software and that was the first foray. Long story short, that blew up because naturally it always does with your first business. And at the time, I remember it was like 10 grand a month. And I was like, this is the end of the world. Like you think it's like the worst thing that's ever going to happen. I'll never recover financially. But anyway, yeah. So fast forward, I ended up going and working for a B2B digital marketing agency. I had met this, his name's Jeff Reynolds. He's a kind of a mentor now, but I met him through a, a previous friend and he was looking for somebody to help come in and educate. They worked with a lot of traditional, like large Fortune 500 companies and sure. did a lot of transition from physical to digital media. And so I was kind of the young guy in there that would help them set up their digital strategy. And then what's all the analytics look like and how can we build these dashboards out and these processes, et cetera, and really cut 
my teeth there on, it was just a lot of at-bats, right? I got to see a ton of companies and see how they function, how they think about distribution and really just grow my skill set of doing zero to one in these types of companies. So anyways, yeah, I ended up leaving that and then ended up in the Bay Area working for a startup. I think I was hired as a, like employee six or employee seven. I can't remember, but super early stage. They had like great word of mouth. My friend was actually working there as the head of growth and he was, a lot of his focus was on like sales and like partnership management. And he's, Hey, I need somebody to come in and just like zero to one digital. Can you come help me? I remember when I got the call, I was actually on a ski trip and I was like, no, like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, we're chasing snow. I, I'm, I have no intention. And long story short, he sent me some data over the weekend. It was one of the craziest just growth curves I've ever seen just compounding. And so I packed a bag three days later, I signed a contract. And then that next Monday, I moved out to San Francisco and crashed on friends' couches for four weeks or so until I found a place. But yeah, and that company's called Rupa Health, but we ended up taking it from 20 million to $120 million valuation in about six months. The core things we focused on was like really just, we basically did all the transactional marketing that we could. We were sending it and I can't even imagine what they're doing now. But like when I left, I think it was about 160,000 cold emails a month. We were doing a webinar a week, a podcast a week, and then doing repurposing of all that media across all channels. But like some of the random things we did was we figured out how to grow Instagram accounts. So we took it from zero to a 100K Instagram account in about six months. Took a podcast in the top 20 medical podcast in the US in about four months. Yeah. So all these things, and this was all VC backs and so you have capital to burn. And that's right. the whole point of it. It's like scale as quickly as possible. But from there, acquired these skill sets, ended up leaving, worked for a company for a short period, but it just didn't make sense. And so then I did some consulting and we found podcasting to be this unbelievable tool to basically zero to one a brand. You can go scrape your ICP's emails and talk to industry experts and you can just like cold email them as a newsletter, these podcasts. And we were seeing open rates that were like 40% plus, right? 40% open rates, 5% CTRs. And really, so anyways, I, I went to this other company they were building. It was like a CRM for insurance agents. And we basically did that for them. And we were filming these long form pieces of content, chopping those up and then distributing them across all their channels. And for them, it went from no one knows who we are to people are coming up at conferences being like, I love the podcast. I love what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And so the origin of all these companies was really that. It was like found that this was this great mechanism to really grow brands. And we were trying to automate or delegate as much of that process as possible. But anyway, yeah, it's a long-winded version of well, it. But you certainly immersed right into it. And I think you grew up in the traditional marketing world, right? Where you'd see your commercials, radio, television, and print. And then, of course, you saw the end of that, the transition of of digital and how digital came into play. And now you've obviously jumped on. So you're on that leading edge of everything, which is great, which I think we can offer good value to our listeners. And I get exhausted just looking at your background and all the things that projects that you're working in, but it definitely has changed. And I came from old school marketing. And so for me, the transition's definitely different. You actually have a great quote that I was curious about. The quote is distribution is more important than product. Unpack that one for us. Yeah. So the short version of it is the worst products win all the time. Think NetSuite. Like it's a terrible email it's software. Heavy. Like yeah. ESP. Overhead's heavy on it for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane, right? But it's like it, they've won, right? Like in, in some form. And so kind of our argument was always this was like, if you can have the best product in the world, but if you have no go to market, like no distribution strategy, it's, you're just not going to have success. You see that constantly, right? Like great product designers that are just in great inch that just have no idea how to do. And this is, I, I think a lot about what is a business. And to me, a business at its core is two things. Like I have something that people want to buy and I have a way to sell it. If I don't have both sides of that, it's two sides of the same coin. If I don't have both of those things, there's 0% chance that I'm going to have success because you can have 
great salespeople, but if they have nothing, nothing happens. And then if you have great product people and they don't have a way to sell it, that's why you often see two-person founder. A lot of these incubators, they're starting to say, hey, we see way better success when it's two to three founders that are coming in because they have these varied skill sets. One's engineering and one's more on the you know marketing sales side and they can stay in those lanes. And that's how we see companies like get off the ground. So yeah, well, yeah, digress, but no, I think you're bang on. In in my generation, it was beta VHS. Beta was the better product, but VHS won the day over 90%. We see it with PC versus Mac. I know you're an Apple guy and worked with Apple for, as a specialist years ago. And Apple, they invented that graphical interface. They stole it from Xerox. Bill Gates comes along, creates Windows, better distribution. He put it in IBM machines for free. 90 plus per 88% of the marketplace uses a PC, but it's not a better technology. And so you do see it. So that makes your point, really. So it's it's about distribution. Best story wins, I think, right? And just positioning, right? Like, how, yeah. how do you speak like your audience? I think that's the thing. And this is one of the things I learned how to do really well work. And this is just agency work in general, right? It's because you have so many touches, you get to see a totally different world that you kind of immerse yourself in. And it's like, what's all the language that they're using? How are they communicating? Where are they communicating? What do they value as a community signal of social worth? And then how do I take all that knowledge and then apply that to whatever it is I'm trying to promote to them, right? So it's like, okay, cool. They're on LinkedIn. Here's these things that make them look better to their peers. And here's this way that I can basically sell this product, whether it's saving money, time, or mental energy. Yeah. How do you get the attention of the consumer when there's so much coming at us? There's so many messages that are flying at us all day long. People use some of the same algorithms. They use some of the same strategies. How do you get through all that noise? Yeah, I just try to always sell benefits. It's like nothing special or fancy. It's just the same stuff we've been doing for all of time. I, I love when people are like cold emails dead or like any of these. Old, I, honestly, I'm seeing a resurgence in direct mail because it's gotten pretty cost effective. Yeah. We did this recently where we did the mass campaign and we got them. I think there were six by eleven postcards or six by twelve postcards. We got them landed in mailboxes for ten cents. It's cheap. It's cheaper than CPCs, right. like no, depending on the audience. So I read that story. I think it was about a real estate company. But you're right. It's using all these forms, and I call them spoke of the marketing wheel, right? So you've got to hit them all. And some are better based on where the audience resides and what are they into. And we all understand that. People who get involved with marketing understand that. Hey, here's my target audience. Here's where they live. Here's what their issues. Here's what their stress points are. What's my best way to get them? And then once you find that formula, I know you're a process guy and I respect that because I think that's the key to scaling. You've got to have a duplicatable process to scale. And if you don't, you're going to miss out. How good does the messaging actually have to be versus the volume of the messaging? One good ad will do all the work for you. And it can be used as the classic Ogilvy code where it's one good ad can be used for 20 years if it's that good of an idea. I was just listening to this podcast talking about Les Schwab. And they had their whole thing. It was just basically like they made this custom tire that was built for snow and ice. Right? It was like walnuts and sawdust for ice. Or I think it was sawdust for snow and walnuts for ice. And they used that for 20 plus years. Every time seasonally it would come around, they'd use that same dish. So I think it's figuring out what is that, again, talking to those benefits and then having it like, I was thinking about it, like, how do I implant an idea in their mind that will slowly start to take over more and more mental real estate? And that's the hardest thing to find. The easiest way when you're an early stage company is just like, what is that benefit? And a lot of the times in B2B SaaS, it's like, what is the job to be done? And what can I automate or delegate for you that saves you whatever that is, like time, money, or mental energy? And then just communicate that at some point. Something we talk about all the time is, again, we just automate post-production for these companies on First Will AI. And so that is the way that we talk about it. It's you're going to automate your entire basically post-production process, which currently you're doing manually. You're paying a team and you can either make your team superhuman or you can cut staff. 
And for some of these companies, it's no brainer, right? Like we just right. reduce costs by 60%. So of course I'm going to do that. Yeah. So. And we'll talk about automation versus offshoring because I think there's a time and a place. It seems with today's technology and the technology that you're developing, you've created an opportunity for the David size companies to compete with the big Goliaths. Is that true? Talk about that. Yeah, I think it's just really every time that there's a base technology shift, this opportunity arises. It was internet in 94, it was mobile in 2008, 2009, and in really the early teens. And then this is another one, right? Like every technology in some way, there's just gonna be an AI company five years from now. What we call AI companies, that's just gonna become a standard. And we're seeing that happen. There's also a ton of opportunity for disruption because of that. Like you can take, for example, say you were doing a survey company right. and you have a survey software and you take surveys in. Traditionally, it's okay, I want to take all that survey data and I'm gonna compile it and I'm gonna put it in spreadsheets. We just did this last week. I can just feed all that data in. I can query against it and ask it questions and be like, cool, give me all the customer interviews we've done in the last, whatever, two weeks or three weeks. Give me all the insights, but I want them to be weighted off of the ones that are the most referenced based off of this corpus of information that I gave you. That's days of work that are now done in minutes. And that's what's happening right now, I think. So AI's accelerated the process, right? Like it's- Totally. The old garbage in, garbage out. If you still put in crappy prompts, you're gonna get crappy responses. It just sped up that whole process of copywriting, coming up with the ideas, maybe creating SEO, everything to it. So a lot of people I talk to are intimidated by the process and traditional marketing groups within some of the big enterprise companies are floundering. They're like, oh boy, what do we do here? How do we do this? And really, I know you talk about, you can bring it in, you can actually create your own voice, your own brand voice in a very, very quick way, then you can take it and start creating content in your own voice. Yeah. We're starting to see organizations actually define, just like they have a style guide, they'll right. say, okay, right. this is our AI guide. So here's our prompt, like engineering cheat sheet almost that we use internally so that we create outputs that have consistency, just like we would do previously where it's, here's the font types, here's the hex codes for the colors, et cetera. So we're seeing that being used more and more, which is pretty exciting. And then also then having these tools basically pre-save all of these things. Something that we suggest for a lot of the clients that we work with is give just examples of written content that you've done previously. Prompt the AI, define the tone, style, and voice and bullet points. And it, it's going to give you five bullet points for each of those. Nine times out of 10, it's almost exactly what you would describe your company's tone, style, and voice as. And then you just take that and you use that for those future prompts. And that's how you can create consistency across organizations, even if they're not living within the same tools, right? So say they have like multiple different chat GPT uh, licenses that they're using, you can still get those outputs where it's like, oh, this feels cohesive. It doesn't feel like this amalgamation that it creates too much brand diversity, which is not what they're looking for. Like yeah. They want that consistency output. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Cody Schneider. 
There's a ton of volume and your system can create a ton of volume, which I think is great. For instance, we can take a podcast interview, we can create a transcript of this, we can dump this into your system and have it spit out a myriad of different articles and posts and things for all the different platforms all in one fell swoop. Again, all this information is coming at us once we design or we find our target market, our ideal customer or prospect. Is there a cadence to the information coming to them that actually works well? Can we overdo it? Is there not enough? What's not enough and what's too much? Yeah, that's a great question. I always look at what the standards are for the platform and then just trying to mirror those or maybe double them. So best practices on Twitter, as an example, is five tweets a day. If you're trying to really rapidly grow a Twitter account, you can do three and you'll be fine. But what I did was let's just let's double that. Let's do 10 a day and we'll have this be augmented by AI. And so over the last year, I grew a Twitter account from having had 400 followers to 15,000. And it's just basically just like key takeaways from other conversations that I had. And then hold those out of the transcript. And then that's the tweet source. I think it's looking at each of the platforms, like LinkedIn, as an example, post a day is fine. So if you do two a day, you're going to be showing up probably in their feeds really actively. The thing I'll say is that all of these algorithms, we're starting to see this in the data are changing. And this is really largely due to TikTok. So TikTok has created what the industry is starting to call for you page content. For you page content is basically the algorithm is just serving you things that it thinks is most likely to get your attention and keep you on platform for as long as possible. And so when you think about it if, as a social media company, like of course it's going to go that direction because they're trying to monetize your attention to advertisers, right? So that's why you're seeing more and more across LinkedIn, across Twitter, across Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, just random creators or uh, random posts will start to show up in your feeds of people that you have no idea who they are. And that's largely because they're seeing oh, this type of content is really engaging. So let's just show that. And so I, to circle back around to the core, the initial idea, like how often should you post? We're seeing some people where it's just post 10 <laughs> YouTube shorts a day. One of them will hit. And so it's just a numbers game at that point. Like how often can you get it out? Especially when the algorithm is deciding, is it going to give you reach or not? with no rhyme or reason, and it's hard to pin down. And we've tried to do this where it's, we do analysis on like the most viral pieces of content yeah. that have occurred. And then what are the common threads or common keywords or common ideas and these things. And there's sometimes vagueness. There's some signal within the noise, but it's not like yes or no, or black or white. And a lot of the times it's, oh, we think we're 70% or 60% confident that when we talk about XYZ, our audience is receptive to that. So more and more personally, what we're doing and also just seeing people do and advising people to do that are trying to rapidly grow their organizations is just publish as much content as possible. Also, it's so easy to win against enterprises. I think that's the thing that people forget about with this. Yeah. I'm watching three-person teams publish more content in a week than an enterprise company does in a quarter. Of course, they're going to grow way faster, especially if they're trying to create this content engine. And all of this is they're augmenting their teams with AI. They're not reinventing the wheel. They're just saying, what are these processes that we're doing currently? And where can we substitute in these tools? And a lot of the times it's like multiple tools in different places to solve those problems. It's funny, my friend actually started a consulting company and this is what he does. He goes into organizations and he's like, cool, what's your process? I'm like, what can I automate? What can I offshore? And he basically just builds that out. I talked to him last week. He's just working with a real estate company and automated 80% of their paperwork processes just using AI tools that are off the shelf and you know, custom. What does that mean to a business owner? Like, it's a total paradigm shift. 
Yeah. Where's a good place for them to start? So we have a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs. We have a lot of professionals, consultants, as well as the big enterprise companies. So let's say we're not the big behemoth the company. And they're always so slow because they're like big battleships to change direction. They hit the brakes and it takes them forever to stop. Got to go through legal, got to go through compliance, got to go through all these hurdles, right? So you're a small business owner and you want to embrace some of this technology and use it. Where's a good place for them to start? Yeah, I think, again, going back to like where your target audience is, I would pick one or two channels. And I've seen companies go from zero to a million ARR or zero to a million dollars of yearly revenue just with two channels, like one to two channels. And a lot of the times it's very transactional things, whether it's cold email and then ads, or it's very rare that you see a company entirely by organic social grow that quickly within a two-year period or whatever. There's ways to do that. But again, you're going to have to become a student of the game in the way of, okay, I'm so deep in this algorithm with YouTube shorts, as an example, to that I'm getting so much reach with this. The amount of time you're going to be spending on that is not going to be and this is what we're always juggling when we're early stage, right? It's like, where's the best allocation of my resources? Is it going to be figuring out YouTube shorts or closing deals, right? Is there a correlation between platforms? So for instance, you know, a lot of things we do, our audience is always on LinkedIn. So yeah. is it LinkedIn? If I was going to pick another channel and a lot of our consultants, you know, is Facebook still relevant? It seems like the younger people, a lot of our kids and everything are always on Instagram. They got their stories going or TikTok. I'm not sure my audience is on TikTok. Is there a correlation there where, okay, if you're on this, then your second and what should maybe be that? When I talk about this to clients anymore, what we're starting to see is just everybody is trying to be on all channels because it, it yeah. again, with that for you page. Like, also, it's if I'm making clips, like for example, like I take this episode, Swell makes clips for me and I can schedule those out with a social media scheduling app to Instagram Reels, TikTok and YouTube Shorts and LinkedIn with two button clicks and no extra work for me or my team. All the captions are written by AI. The call to actions are occurring because I'm using a template that adds a first comment or makes it a Twitter thread. They'll drive them actually off platform, which is the whole point of why we're doing organic social. We're seeing that more and more of, okay, how do I just create this evergreen anchor piece of content that I can then reuse across all of these different channels and employ those AI tools to accomplish that? It's interesting. Can it be optimized and AI to predict future trends? With AI, can we look at things and go, okay, this is going to be hot down the line here in one month, two months, three months with AI based on where it's going? Is AI capable of that? Definitely. I've seen some companies recently that are looking at Google Trends data for search volume and then correlating that to our communities growing around those ideas. One that was an example of this was it's called makeup fridges. It's basically makeup that expires, right? And they saw this massive uptick. And then there's these social media communities that basically started to pop off around them. So Instagram accounts that were talking about tips and how to do this. And then also like forums that were starting to occur. Imagine, okay, I go and I scrape all of that data from all of these different places that this community is talking about these products. I can, again, use that AI to query against, okay, what are the things they're complaining about? What are the things that I can improve on? And suddenly I have a product research that's happening at scale based off of this social listening that I'm doing. And I, this, the company that I'm, I'm talking about, like what they ended up going and doing is, okay, cool. Let's like, we'll just make it, we'll find an OEM and we'll make this product, but make it, make it better based off of the feedback that we've seen in these public settings without having to do one-on-one -on -one customer research in the way they did previously. And if I wanted to do that in the past, like that would be so costly, right? If I, I would have to employ a team, an army of people to sift through that data. But now suddenly it's like I make four API calls and I have all that knowledge right in front of me. It's using those tools. It's knowing where to apply the tool like any yeah. tool. 
And so you can use it for good, you can use it for evil. With the combination, is it good for all kinds of content, AI, or where does human intelligence and that intersection of human intelligence and artificial intelligence, to me, it seems like if you combine both of those things together, you could have some phenomenal content. Yeah, and we're seeing most companies do that, right? Where it's like the heavy lifting is done by the AI, and then there's the inputs and 10% of the inputs and 10% of the output. That's where the human resources are being administered. All that middle ground, for example, if I'm writing a blog post, me doing keyword research and like understanding, oh, this is valuable to my brand. I should write an article that's based on this so that yeah. I can try to rank for it. And that creates inbound leads. The AI is going to be okay at that. It's not going to be great in our experience. So I can provide it the keyword. But what we found is, oh, it's great at writing blog post outlines. Oh, it's great at writing blog posts. And at that point, it's like I have a full link. And this is part of the tools that we built. I can do all this keyword research. I find 100 keywords that are related to my brand that we know long-term provide brand value. I drop those into the AI. And three minutes later, I have 100 articles written that are 2,000 words. And they're on my website five minutes later. So what's the impact that happens to your company when you can scale that up? So that's using the general knowledge of the AI. And I think a thing that's related that where we see this going Your information that only you have, your library of content that only you have, that you then employ the AI to mine and repurpose is going to become the only way for you to differentiate long-term. Because that general knowledge that the AI has, it's always going to write to the bell curve. It's going to write to the average. So let me give you an example. If I prompt it, okay, how do I do brand differentiation, right? Just as an example. From its general knowledge, write this kind of mediocre article. Now, in contrast, say I go and I interview five brand differentiation experts, and I get them to give us their insights on like, okay, here's the forefront. This is where we see all this happening. I take those transcripts, and then I say, okay, this is this document that you are only allowed to work from. So the AI is using its general knowledge to do an action for you, but you're basically limiting, you're creating this walled garden of the information that it can pull from. And what we're seeing is this unbelievable ability to basically extract and organize all of that information without any pre-organization happening. So the data is unstructured beforehand. So to say that a different way, traditionally I'd have to go and I'd be like, okay, where are the similar ideas? I'm gonna organize it in that way. And then I'm gonna organize this article that I'm gonna write based off that. I can just give it raw transcripts and be like, cool, write a blog post outline based on all of this information. And it's going to automatically create this cohesive flow and narrative based off of just that raw data that you provided. And that output, that final output that you're going to see is going to be (laughs) miles ahead of what the AI can generate. And so this is how we're talking to a lot of these marketing organizations more and more. So, okay, think about how do I create this corpus of information that only I have? It can be pulled in from other places. It doesn't have to just be stuff that you generate. It can also be blog posts we like and ideas we like. And how do I collect all those things in this space? And then that digital asset management system or whatever we want to call it, that's what I'm then going to go and say, okay, I'm trying to write something about XYZ topic. Go find me all the things related to that. Let's pull those out. We're going to create this source document. Now let's write a blog post based on that XYZ topic, but it's based off of this curation that your team has done over the long term. Anyways, that's you know, oh, the sky. That's amazing. No, you answered a good question. So uh, for an example of that, just our program, Becoming Preferred. If you Google Becoming Preferred, we own page one on that. It was named after the book, blah, blah, blah. I can take all the content, everything I've ever done with Becoming Preferred, use that as my source material with overall objectives, and it's going to put that and then create those terms, SEO, whatever and build it into the content. So I've differentiated myself. I've created some distinctive value. So I stand out from the noise. I stand out from the crowd. 
100%. Another example of this that's crazy is you can make a chatbot on everything that you've ever done. So it's the books information, it's all the podcast episodes, it's the webinars that you've done. And then I can then charge a subscription. So I'm seeing coaches do this right now, where they then go and they charge a subscription for access to this whole back catalog of data that they have. And so their clients can come in and they can be like, I'm in this situation, this terrible HR situation. How do I manage that as their examples of this? And that can give them advice and then simultaneously point them at previously written or or produced content that then they can go back and listen to. Okay, here's the timestamps. Here's the episode number. You can go directly to that. So to see this in action, go to, I think it's called LennyBot.com. There's this guy named Lenny. I could not say his last name, but he does this podcast called Lenny's Podcast. It's it's product focused, like SaaS product development. But he basically took everything he's written and everything he's done on podcasting, he put it into this chatbot. But even the more magic thing is that he included people that are his friends and colleagues, and they're also source material. And there's links to their information as well, which creates this cross-selling effect within the chatbot. And so then you have this partnership. So basically it's partnership marketing that's occurring simultaneously. Affiliates, great. So you basically have to upload that data into a chatbot. It's not coming into your system. You have to upload what you want to have in there as potential source material. Yeah, yeah, we haven't done this yet. We've gotten people asking for it more and more lately. Okay, I want to upload my entire back catalog and then just like create a chat. We have a chatbot, but it's only based off of a single episode currently. It's like an embeddable chatbot. You can put on your website where people can be like, what are the key takeaways from this episode? What were the links mentioned? What were the books mentioned, et cetera? And it will extract that information. But the idea of, oh, this whole corpus, it's something that we haven't done yet, but it, it's on our roadmap. It's every startup, like there's a million things we want to do. I need to hire five more engineers. So yeah, it'll never be done. It'll never be done. You get glimpses of peace once in a while, but we call them glimpses for a reason. It's 100%. It's good. Now there's five generations of buyers out there. You got baby boomers all the way to Gen Y, Gen X, and we all consume content based on our interest level. You know, my generation, we would go online on a computer and I can sit in front of a computer for an hour on one subject and no problem. I've got seven millennial kids and they want it in five to seven minute, nine minute bites, right? So we've had to take standard courses, things that we used to create for an hour that you'd sit in front of, bring it down to 15 minutes or 20 minute segments. And now we're bringing them down to five to seven minute segments because you grasp information, you process it quickly, you know, whether it's of interest or not, right? And we can do that. How does AI you know, attack or can it customize and personalize that content based on generational data or information? That's a great question. We haven't done this, so take it with a grain of salt, but totally possible. Because if there's examples of that content that exists previously, we can basically mimic or mirror that. So if you're like, okay, cool, this is an output example, maybe you can provide that, and then that becomes this template that it's basically yeah. building. It's almost yeah. a skeleton, so totally doable. Even reference points, the jargon that we use, because it's evolving, it's constantly evolving. Like Gen X, my kids who are millennials are now complaining to me that the younger generation are this and this and this, and I'm just chuckling because my generation always said, oh, you millennials, you're, you're entitled. Oh, you're entitled. Well, personally, I think they should be entitled. They're entitled to, you know, us baby boomers screwed up everything. We polluted the place. We created the systems that we have that are unfair and unjust. So I think you're entitled to safe neighborhoods. You're entitled to walk down the street with your family and your kids. You're entitled to have your leaders be respectful. You are entitled and you should be. That's what we create. We created it, right? But when we message, it's different. And those, that messaging is going to appeal to a certain segment. And so I like your idea of, hey, what's the problem? Who's my audience? And then how can we focus that message on my audience? And I think it could be adjusted. So when it spits out its content, let's say it's 90% there, 95% there, with a few tweaks, you can manipulate it where it fits that particular segment. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Something I'd piggyback off of that, though, just use an example. Like you get a baby boomer on TikTok and they will um, they will dopamine hit just as hard with enough time, right? As that's that true. person. Yes. And I think it's really just about the plat. Like, where is my target audience? Again, getting back to that core idea. And like, yeah, I'm just building content. I'm just trying to meet them wherever they are. And again, this is something I saw when we were working like with these large corps. It's like they would try to push what they want. It was like, I'm talking to you rather than I'm meeting you in that location providing value and then also trying to like get you to do an action for me. And that mind shift, a lot of the times when these companies, it was like a, oh, of course, like that, it makes total sense. But traditionally it's, oh, I'm on TV and I'm going to tell you what to do or I'm Mad Men and you need this, you need to buy this soap. And it's like, well, there's three soaps. So if you tell me you need to buy it, it's going to be different. But now with so many options and choices, I always try to advise people on the content side is try to add value in that place make it content that feels native. Like we see this all the time with podcasts in particular, where it's like they try to do this doctored up version of it where it's captions and this background. And what we've seen in the data is that if I just chop this, it looks like it's supposed to be a YouTube short. And we'd use the same caption font that they use on YouTube natively. And if you did those two clips side by side, the one that looks native is going to go viral, more viral than that the other one every time. Yeah. And so authenticity, it's more authentic. And, and I think totally. that's me with the content, it's making it relevant too, right? It's relating. I think it's relating. And that's a generational thing, which we all need to do. It's like, you know, for baby boomer, when I'm speaking to audiences, I'm usually the oldest guy in the room. I just started doing the spin classes and get the cardio going and like, I'm everybody's dad. Right. And so when I show up, for instance, and I'm on stage, I used to wear the suit, the cufflinks, the whole bit, that doesn't wash anymore. Now I roll up my sleeves. I'll have some tat showing might keep my earring in whatever the case is just because I want to be relevant and content makes us relevant. So it's using AI and those tools to make it relevant to that different generational group or purchaser. Is there do's and don'ts when it comes to using this technology? Yeah, it's really the limitations that you want to put on your brand. The the one red flag I'd raise for people is Mm -hmm. know if the company is training on the data you're providing it. So are they using the data that you give it to basically improve what they're doing? And then who owns that improvement? Because the training data we're seeing, this is going to happen way more in the next five years, but you're going to see these companies where it's like they trained on these data sets that were public, but there's some reference of Mickey Mouse in them as an example, or Pokemon or whatever. And because of that, this company that provides this model, they're going to get sued or whatever. So I think that's something just to like flag for people is like, what are these companies doing? We don't train on people's data. That's a huge thing for us. All we're trying to do is basically provide these tools. We're not training these core models. And I think this is where this will all go as well. There's going to be foundational models that are used within these tools. And those foundational models are going to be trained on open source data sets so that you as a company are getting Hammered. It opens up a whole new can of worms for sure. 100%. See, there are, I'm starting to see detection systems now where we, oh, it'll detect whether it's AI written. Is it defeatable or is that true? I have not seen one of those be accurate whatsoever. All of the testing that we've done. They say that it's possible. I've used every one of them. I've read all the papers. It's mimicking human. So you're basically saying this is not human. (laughs) But a great way to do this is just if it says it's AI written, tell it to change the tone and style and voice and it'll pass. Done every time. Or just expand this information and make it more casual in tone. Or talk like you're an American rather than general internet language. That's something that's a lot of the data that's public, right? Is it's all the internet. So you can reference specific locations and be like, oh, talk like you're a Californian. Talk like you're from Calgary. 
talk like you're et cetera. When we think about it, it's, it's that bell curve, right? So how we're trying to get to those tails. We just got to figure out those correct prompts that's going to flag those things. So that's no, amazing. Let's talk about your latest project. I know you've got two, three balls in the air and you're working. Tell us about the latest project that you're working on and how it can help our audience. Yeah. So the two things that will be valuable to your audience, it's Swell AI, it's content repurposing powered by AI. You basically give it like this podcast as yeah. an example. It'll make clips, write blog posts, tweets, newsletters, LinkedIn posts, anything that you can imagine, and you can make custom templates within it. So how I like to describe it to people is like a chat that you would have with ChatGPT that can be saved as a template so that every time you upload into it, it just automatically generates that output and creates that flywheel. And then the other one is DraftHorse AI and DraftHorse AI helps you write hundreds of SEO articles in minutes. You give it a list of target keywords or a blog post outline and minutes later, you'll have a full length article written about that. It publishes directly to your CMS. So whether it's Webflow or WordPress or Ghost or whatever you use. Yeah, so those are the two tools that we're seeing people build their content teams and content organizations on top of. And that's really what we're here to do is try to assist in that process because it's, like you said, unaccessible to, to get yeah. started. So it's like, how can we make this as easy as possible? Yeah, and it's reasonable. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well so people can access it and they can try it out. And you've got different tier levels and we've signed up for it and we're going to test it out. So we're excited to give it a go and try that out as well. Where do you see it going overall? Where do you see the marketplace evolving to? Yeah, I think yeah, I think there's going to be these core base models. I think all of these large companies are going to try to introduce them. We're seeing this with Amazon. We're seeing this with every one of them. I think where this all goes to is like every person or company is going to use this. It's just a matter of time. It's like mobile. I remember when mobile happened and people were like, we don't need a mobile website. And I like to look for those one chart stories where it's growing 30% yearly. That means that it's going to like 16X in four cycles. The early <laughs> adopters are going to get the advantage yeah. from it. Laggards are going to be coming behind and playing catch up. For sure. I think it makes your team superhumans like too. Is that's the biggest thing for marketing orgs is you have a team of 10 people and suddenly that team of 10 people, especially if they're high performers already, if they're 10x individuals, we're all trying to hire 10x. And if they're 10x individuals and I give them AI tools that augment their abilities, suddenly they're 100x people. And so I have 10 people that are working like they're what a thousand and they're creating the output in that volume. I think you're going to see companies and, and just so much disruption occur. We've worked with cremation <laughs> service companies yeah. down to B2B SaaS over to they sell online wholesale hats. There's so many different organizations that are using this. The ones that are adopting it early are just going to be yeah. ahead. It's again, like mobile. It's the yeah. same. It's the it's same. It's going to be disruptive and transformative. When a new technology in the past was always developed, typically two new jobs were created because of that. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case with AI. Maybe but then again, it's that application is going to create a whole new set of jobs. Kids born today are going to be working in industries that aren't even invented yet. Your generation's primed for this. You grow up playing games. We never had access to any of those things. Where it's going, anybody knows, but it's staying up and staying relevant. But I love the point of leverage and acceleration. And I think that's what AI does. That's what we've noticed. We've been using it since the first of the year. And it replaces things, but it's also created new opportunity and the opportunity to expand, which then allows us to hire new people and grow as an organization. So we can just do it quicker, faster, better than the those who aren't. 100%. Yeah, I, I think there's two ways to look at it, right? It's like I can cut headcount or I can triple the output. 
So whatever you want to do. Personally, I'd rather triple the output, cut the cost by 50%, and suddenly I'm making more money with the same amount of people. We're going to probably see the four-day work week, which I think is a great idea. We're overproductive. I think we work too hard. And yeah. other cultures embrace life a little bit and have a nice work-life balance. And I think AI allows us to do that. The last question for you, we can make your people have superpowers. Besides that, what's Cody's superpower? I don't know. I think I'm just good at looking at a bunch of random data and where's the synthesis of all those yeah. pieces together. Like in a business setting, that's probably what I enjoy doing as well. I just love the puzzle process. It's why I've spent most of my time in early stage companies. Doing operations is not the thing I want to live to. There's yeah. a whole other group of people that are going to be way better at that than me. I want to figure out the puzzles. I want to automate as much as I can. I want to delegate the rest. And then I want to go and move on to the next puzzle. Anyways, yeah, those are the two things. But if you had a kryptonite, what would it be? Ooh, shiny object syndrome, for sure. It's every founder's I biggest bane. My girlfriend and I were joking this year, and it was like our mantra was like, no new things. <laughs> I'm all over that. 100%. I look at it and I go, that's cool. I want that. Totally. Yeah. I honestly want to build this product feedback tool. It's like a form that would be automatically emailed to your customer base that like churn or leave your product and then give us feedback. We give you a month free or whatever. And then it just aggregates all the insights for you, for your product team. So they don't have to do any of those interviews. Literally again, like a week ago, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to hack it together and I'm going to put it in public and we'll see what happens. And then it's reality sets in. No, we have this company. Like I need to focus on this thing that we're building. So. Hey, Cody Schneider, this has just been a treat. Lots of good data, lots of good information, lots of value for our listeners. Thanks so much. And really appreciate you sharing with us. Love to see what you've been doing with things and your growth. So you're definitely inspiring. And for small business owners, for professionals, for big enterprise, we'll have all the information to be able to get hold of you and find you. Is there a best place to find you? Yeah, mainly online on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. But yeah, both of those places are probably going to be the easiest way. If you just Google me, it should come up. And if it doesn't come up, I'm not doing my job. well. Twitter or formerly Twitter, now X. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever be able to change. Just mentally can't get past that one. So got you. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.